We're in a series on Nehemiah, and uh, Nehemiah basically is a story about, oh, and for those of you on Facebook Live who didn't come out into the rain, yeah, I'm coming after you. Um, For for those, uh, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. The story takes place in 455 B.C., okay? Like half of you guys weren't even born yet. It was, it was, it's old. It's old, okay? And so when we read this, these types of stories, sometimes we can get um, lost in antiquity. In other words, we can let the age of the story um, dictate how we are supposed to read the story. And oftentimes we do that to give it context. Um, and so what we've been trying to do is... What, why I believe Nehemiah is in the Bible is to teach us what it looks like to move forward in rebuilding the places in our lives that we know God has a bigger vision for than what we're experiencing now. So God has probably given you a vision of your relationships about what you, you, you know the way they're supposed to be going and maybe they're not quite there. Maybe God has given you a vision of what your finances could look like or not look like and uh, maybe you're, you're, you're not quite there. Maybe uh, God has given you a vision for where uh, you could be serving his kingdom and, 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 and you, you just know that where you are now and where you think he's taking you, it's just not there. Well, we have been referring to those places as the broken walls of our lives. And this is what happened to Nehemiah. He, he heard about the broken walls of Jerusalem. And we're going to get into this a, a bit more next week when we, when we talk about life behind the gates. Uh, and and um, is that God's purpose for Israel was that they would be his people and he would be their God. And they would follow his attributes, his, I mean, his uh, um, commandments, what he wants them to do. And in doing so, they would flourish. And in flourishing, the whole world would know that their God is greater than the God's of Baal and all these other false gods. And that's the way it was supposed to happen. And so Jerusalem was supposed to be the city that represented the people of God. It was supposed to represent the kingdom of God. And the walls were broken down. The walls were destroyed by fire. So in the last few weeks, we've been telling this story. And in this case, what happens is... Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. Some scholars think that was a high position, that, that he actually had the ear of the king and that he would, was a consultant. Some think he was just a cupbearer. He just gave him his wine like a, like a, like a waiter or something. Uh, in any event, Nehemiah had an impact on the king. And we talked about the fact that it doesn't matter what your status is. If you're an advisor or if you're just a waiter, God can use you mightily to influence people and to advance his kingdom. So we talked about that. And so the king gives Nehemiah his request. Timber from some forests, some letters that says you can go pass through these different places. Because you can imagine he's just going through these cities. And those cities are run by people who want to make sure that they're safe. And so he gets letters from the king. And so he makes his way to Jerusalem. So we're going to catch him in, um, in chapter uh, 2 and in, uh, verse 17. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. Happy birthday. All right. It's Lisa's birthday yesterday. You know, we should sing. Hap- no, I'm just kidding, honey. I would never do that to you. All right. So... Uh, 
So here's what happens. Nehemiah makes it to Jerusalem, and he goes out at night on his horse for two or three nights, and he's sneaking around looking at all these gates, all these ways that Jerusalem is not fortified, all the ways the enemy can come in to into the place where God has another vision, but there's these openings where the enemy can just sneak in. And so Nehemiah sneaks around and he does that. And here's what he says to them. He says, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and uh, we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. So Nehemiah is in this great opportunity to convince others to follow what he believes God has placed on his heart. And so the miraculous happens. The people who had been in this situation for so long, for um, many, many decades, they've been in this ruined city and they, they were allowed to come back. Uh, we talked this, about this before. God had the Babylonians take the whole southern portion of of Israel, called Judah, into captivity. And when the Persians defeated the Babylonians, they said, go back home. (laughs) So here they come back, but their city is in ruins. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I'm going to give you a point out of the Bible that is probably the most obvious point (laughs) you'll hear from a pastor ever. You have to start somewhere. You have to start sometime. And what Nehemiah, what I'm so impressed about with what Nehemiah did, is he did a careful inspection first. He didn't didn't dumb it down for them. He didn't say, hey, you know what? The walls aren't really that bad. Why don't we just fix up this part and then we'll see how it goes. Now, he did a careful inspection of every single place that the enemy was allowed to infiltrate that city. And here's what I would ask you to do. Take a careful inspection of every area in your life where the walls are broken down, allowing the enemy to come in and take control or to harass or to steal or to destroy. But once that takes place, you have got to start somewhere. I look around. I I know many of you. I look around and I can see the stories of where you started, of when that change came. And it it could be anything from uh, addiction or, or when the weight loss started or when the financial change happened or whatever. There was a point you had done your research, you had done your evaluation, and you said, I got to do something about this now. And so you started. God bless you for that. It is hard to start, isn't it? You get in cycles of shame or you, you, you know, how many times have I started before and all these different things. It's hard to start, but you got to start somewhere. And so they did. And they started building this wall. And I'll bet when they started out, they were excited. You know, you've all started stuff. You know, you start a diet and on Monday you get to work. You're not going out with everybody at lunchtime. No, you're on a diet. So you got your two celery sticks and a baggie. You got like a kale sandwich because you did a whole bunch of research on the internet and then you're detoxing and doing all this stuff. You signed up for Pilates. You're, you're, you're all ready to go because to start is exciting. 
Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's uh, financial planning, okay, like we talked about with Carol. And you're ready to go, and you get a budget, and you go through all your numbers, and you're, and you're arguing with your spouse. You know, how much money do we need for, you know, food? It's like, we don't need that much. We can eat rice, you know, a bag of rice. I went on the internet, it's 50 pounds, and we, it'll feed us for this. No, we're not, I'm not eating rice. You go through the whole thing, and you, you find it, the numbers that you feel comfortable with, and you got, you know, th- this much for tools, this much for shoes, uh, and you, you got all your stuff, and everything's go, working out. I'm not saying that's what we do. I'm saying I've heard people do that. And you're ready to go. And you start, and that day you got your envelope system or your thing, and you got your pluses and your minuses, debit on the left, credit on the right, or vice versa, I can never remember. And so you're, do, you're doing all that, and then all of a sudden a bill comes. Like your visa bill that you forgot was actually coming. <laughs> and you go, oh man. See, here's the thing I know. You can start. I want you to see this next verse. They replied. Let's start building. So they began this good work. It was a good work they were doing. Very next verse. But. <laughs> but. Have you guys ever seen uh, P.B. Herman's Big Adventure? And he says, uh, he says, why do you keep saying, you know, everybody has a but? What's, tell me about your but. Right? That, that, it was funnier when, <laughs> when I was 12 and actually saw the movie. I'm sorry about that. I've ruined everything. But, like, but what? Here's, here's the but. I promise you for, with everything in me as your pastor and a person who loves you and a person who reads the Bible, I promise you, you will run into opposition. I promise. And that opposition can come from anywhere. Any time you are moving into the vision that God has for your life and you're beginning to go, okay, now's the time. You will meet opposition from all sorts of different things. One from your own flesh, just yourself going, this is too hard. Two carrot sticks for lunch. Golly, I'm not doing that. You know, it takes time to develop habits and all these things. And so just your own flesh, your own brokenness can be, be uh, uh, um, something that, that robs you of where, what God would have you to do. It could be an, an enemy. It could be the enemy, Satan, who wants you to be shamed, who wants you to be a failure, who wants you to not amount to all that God has you do. Because by doing that, you'll glorify God in your life. And, and Satan doesn't want that. Culture doesn't want that and can be in opposition. Just the way culture is moving and whether the, how that all happens, just as we make changes in our lives, that culture doesn't always follow what is important to us. And so you might make changes in your, your, your relationship status or whatever, and, and culture doesn't like this or that or what have you. It can come from people who don't even know that they're opposition. That they're acting in their own brokenness. So, you know, maybe you're unemployed and your brother-in-law is employed. And he doesn't even know why, but he doesn't want you to be employed because that makes him and the family have higher status than you. And he wouldn't even know that. He's just operating within his broken flesh. Your parents can be a an opposition without even meaning to be. They're, they're trying to drive you and trying to get you to be all you can be and trying to, you know, make it so that they can brag when they get to work. And they don't even know that. 
and yet they become opposition. In Nehemiah's case, there was actually three dudes that were coming against Nehemiah. But when Sanballat or Sanballat or whatever, I can never get those things great. Um, I went to seminary. I still can't pronounce half the stuff. Uh, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And so they didn't like the fact that Israel was beginning to flourish. Now, we know from, you know, just scholars know that this is because in that particular time, when, a, when one city was getting fortified and was getting successful, the other cities around felt threatened. And so these people have been able to push against the Jews, mock the Jews. Uh, the Jews were second-class citizens, third-class citizens. And now change is beginning to happen. And the power structures they have set up for themselves are now being threatened. It's often who our opposition becomes. Those people who, for whatever reason, have established power positions above us, and all of a sudden we begin to be empowered, and they get threatened. This happens in our society as well. As people in power, no matter how, what might be a socioeconomic power, it might be racial power, it might be whatever, when another uh, institution or entity begins to come into power, there's a, there's a threatening and a pushback. This is why, like I said before, I love our denomination. Because we believe that everybody shares the same value, no matter what your socioeconomic st- status is, or your race, or whatever. And so they, they begin to uh, question, you know, what, what are you doing? Are, are you rebelling against the king? And, and this is just really common when it comes to the opposition you're going to face. Because you're going to want to react in a way that says, no, 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 I'm not threatening anybody. And in fact, you'll get derailed off of what it is God would want you to do. Start and keep going. Keep starting. If you fall down, get up. You will meet opposition. I promise. I promise. And some of it will be very, very difficult. But I know that we serve a God who is so great and so mighty that he can see you through it. He won't necessarily fix it right away, but he will walk you through those valleys. And so we jump all the way to... Um, oh, the, and the other thing is, uh, I didn't put this down and I was thinking about doing it or not, but I want to give it a shot. So that ends chapter two. Well, chapter three is this uh, awesome chapter about um, what they do next, because this is such a key part of what, how change happens in our lives. So you get to chapter two, Sambalat is, is making, you know, he's squawking about all this kind of stuff, threatening them. And immediately they surround themselves with themselves. They begin to partner together. They begin to work side by side. And I, when you get a chance, read Nehemiah chapter 3. But um, it goes, uh, it just goes through, I won't, I won't read it. I, it just goes through all these people and what section of the wall they were responsible for. 
And it was all the wall in front of their house. Now, there were some that were responsible for bigger portions. They were better builders, or that was their craft or whatever. But each person was responsible for the wall in front of their house, and they worked side by side together to build this big wall. And I'm thinking to myself, that's the church. That is the church. We come here, and we're all working on our broken walls. And we work together, and maybe in a small group, you hand me a hammer I didn't have before. And you teach me how to use it. Maybe, maybe I, I look over and I just give you some words of encouragement. And I say, you know what? My wall used to look exactly like that. It was actually even worse. Keep going. You can do it. But what ends up happening in the church is we're working on our wall. And maybe it's so bad, we don't want anyone to know about it. So we build walls <laughs> to work on our wall. And so we build these things. We don't want anyone to see it. And, and here's, what we, here's the lie that we, we, we tell ourselves. When my wall gets to a, like a, a pretty good level, then I'll take down the other walls. I, I just need to, to do that. But the problem that you don't understand and that I often don't understand is that once I wall off from others, I don't have their resources anymore. I don't have their expertise. I don't have their, uh, the way they... Um, uh, their perspective. This is why we, on our boards, we have men and women and people from all different uh, walks of life. Is because we want a full expression, a full observation of what is going on. And so you just, just reading these, it's really fun. Just, so that's your homework assignment for this week. Um, Nehemiah chapter 3. Read just all the different perfumers and merchants. Like people who have no business building a wall, because they're all together, yeah, they had a priest, some priests in there. They should not be building anything, let me tell you that. Pastors, don't give them a hammer. Right? They have all these different kinds of people, and the wall is being built. That is the church. That's the gathering. All people from all different walks of life gathering together to rebuild the vision that God has for each of us and our respective portion of the kingdom. And so, Nehemiah chapter 4, with all those people helping and all those people being vulnerable, they rebuilt the wall till it got reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. So now you can imagine, it's halfway done. And if you're like me in the areas of my life where I've tried to rebuild my wall, there's a sense that once you get it halfway done, you're like... All right, well, we can, we can slow stuff down a little bit. You know, I can, I can do two carrots and a piece of bread now. Uh, you know, whatever. We get it to, to ha- halfway. But guess what happens at halfway? Opposition. Because I'm here to tell you, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I promise you, you will get opposition. I, did I mention that? Okay, good. I just wanted to, I, I forgot where I was. You're going to get opposition. This is what happens. Nehemiah 4 one through two. And I just think this is funny to me because San, Sanballat is back. He heard that we were rebuilding the wall and he became angry, was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Now, now keep in mind, it's, it's getting up to half, halfway. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they resolve, restore their wall? Will, there offer, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? One of the oppositions you're going to get is people saying you can't do it. You know what the biggest opposition you're going to get? Is you saying you can't do it. 
You saying, I've failed so many times. I can't, I, why even try? This is my identity. I'm broken wall guy. <laughs> That's just how I'm known. And so Sambalak comes to, to in, continue to do that. And then I just put this in here because I picture Sanbalat as like this like bouncer, uh, like a New York bouncer that like goes around from to stores and like extorts them out of money. Like, hey, we can take care of you if you take care of us. You know, like that. That's like, that's like Sanbalat. And I picture Tobiah as his little scrawny sidekick because here's what Tobiah says. I told you I read the Bible a little differently, right? Uh, I, I try to put myself. So to buy the uh, Ammonite, uh, who was at his side, right? He's like a sidekick, said, uh, uh, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. <laughs> like, right? You can just picture that little scrawny sidekick guy. I might be stereotyping a little bit, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> And so that's, that's the thing, is that there's, there's this, this opposition, and you can get totally, like, crippled by it. Maybe you have somebody like this at work. That one person is constant, constant, constant. Everything you try to do, it's not good enough. Everything you try to build is not good enough. Everything you try to say, you could have said it better. You could have done it better. You get dressed up, you could have gotten more dressed up. You got dressed down, you could have gotten more dressed up. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just that chipping and chipping away. I love what Nehemiah does next. He says this. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard. We prayed to our God and we posted a guard. Now, as a pastor, as somebody very, very spiritual, uh, what I'm supposed to say is pray about it. We serve a mighty God. He, he can do all things. Just keep praying about it. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely. We serve an amazing God. And even in the next verse, we're going to see another thing Nehemiah does that, 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 that drives that home. But we can't just pray to our God and not post a guard, not, not, not put something in place that protects. Like if I know a portion of my life is beaten down, that the enemy is allowed to come in, but I post no guards, I have no boundaries, I just pray to God and go, God, please, whatever, whatever you do, build the wall back up. In, in your time, Lord, in your time, just go ahead, build it up. And you have the faith, and that's great, and you should have faith. But sometimes what the Lord is doing is going, post a guard. Put something in place. Get some accountability. Get some help. Make a phone call. Write an email. Cancel a subscription. Post a guard there. Others of you are posting guards everywhere, and you haven't prayed to God. <laughs> You're working and working and working and working and working and working. And you're not sensing any of the peace of God, any of the joy, any of the, of the, of the mercy that he has. Where he says, I'm really proud of what you got accomplished today. It was two little marbles, but look, the wall's bigger than it was before, you know. And you just don't get a sense that, that he loves you. And you're just going and going and going and you're posting guards and you're, you're trying to do it all yourself. And God's word for you this morning would be to seek him. Allow him into the process. Allow his peace to reign in your life. You know, Jesus says something really interesting. He says, um, I have come 
that in, in me you might have peace. I have come that in me you might have peace. And then he goes on, in the world you will have tribulation. You will. But I have overcome the world. And so in the midst of that tribulation, in the midst of the slowness and the difficulty and the weariness of trying to rebuild your wall, Jesus is there. And so that's what Nehemiah does. He, 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 he uh, prayed to our God and uh, posted a wall. And he goes on, he encourages everyone. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Yes, you will have tribulation. Yes, you will have people, uh, opposition. But you don't need to be afraid of that opposition as you are rebuilding the parts of the walls that God would have you rebuild in your life. And he gives two pieces of advice, which I love. Because again, it's, it's this tension of spiritual responsibility and physical responsibility. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember him. Oftentimes when I'm discouraged or I'm anxious about something, because sometimes I'll struggle with anxiety because I'm always thinking so far in the future that I, I, there's no way to know how to get there half the time. And I'm just always pushing and I'm always pushing. And so I, I, I get anxious about it. But one of the ways I get over that is I just start walking around the campus. I start thinking about in my past. Remember the Lord. Oh, he was faithful here. Oh my goodness, he was so faithful here. I remember I was curled up in the fetal position here, and I got, I got away with it. That was great. I remember here, you know, I, and, and you go through, remember the Lord, for he is great and awesome. And so that's, that's one thing that, that we can do in order to get through these tribulation times is to go, okay, God was faithful here. He was faithful here. He was faithful here. He's going to be faithful again. And then he says, and fight, and fight. So in other words, Don't stop working. Don't just go, I remember the Lord is so good. Everything's going to be great. Que sera, sera. Remember the Lord. He's great and awesome. And fight for your brothers. For your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let let the, the reality of that vision that God has for you, let the reality of that really sink in. That when you get to those places that are difficult, when you get to where the opposition seems insurmountable, you remember, you pray to God, you post a guard, you remember the Lord, he's great and awesome, and you fight. In Ephesians, it says, it's talking about, you know, Paul's talking about all these things, and, and like, at the very end, he just, he says, you know, and stand. <laughs> Like, don't, no, don't run, don't fly. Just that sometimes in our lives, we just get to a place where you're just going to stand. So, uh, so we had a similar thing in our lives. Um, I've shared this story many times, but it's a big part of our story. Um, but at eight years old, we, are, we found out our son had epilepsy. And the, the, the small seizures started growing into bigger and bigger seizures. And so uh, we did what any, uh, we, we prayed. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I had the elders of this church pray and uh, anoint him with oil. We had a hundred pastors pray uh, at this event I was at. I laid hands on him and prayed. I went to a healing room. I, we prayed. We prayed, okay? And we fought. We 
went to the doctors. We've argued with neurologists. We've actually, Lisa was the one that fought the hardest. She just would not let go. And so we had gotten all the way up to, uh, they, had, they had approved a brain surgery, but they had to do a bunch of, of tests. And, and my son, I, I have so much respect for him because if you had been poked and prodded and had blood drawn and had been in MRI tubes six, seven times and he was in sleep deprivation studies and all this stuff, if you had been through all that, you'd just go, I would have given up. And he just kind of kept, kept moving along, kept moving along. And so at one point, the seizures just stopped. They stopped. And so, you know, we were like, Wow, that's weird, because we were, we were getting up to figuring out if brain surgery was the way to go. And, and uh, so they stopped, and uh, I forget how many months it, it was that they were done, but uh, it was enough to where we felt it, it's, it's over. And then a night before I preached, he had one. It was months and months after that. And I'm telling you, I've never been more devastated in all my life. I've never been so questioning, like, what's going on? Why would God, why would you allow, I mean, at least just keep them going. Why would you allow that period of reprieve? You know, we really began to celebrate. I'll never forget that in the midst of it, you know, you, you go through your initial thing, and then you just start to fight again. So we've ramped everything up and started to go through the process again and again and again. And I don't, know about you and I can't tell your story and I can only tell mine looking back on it now because we did end up getting brain surgery and he hasn't had a seizure for uh, about three years so uh, which is fantastic it, it, it's wonderful but some families don't get the luxury of that they, they go through that and so I was I, I, I think oftentimes back to that time when all I could do is pray and fight pray and fight remember the Lord who is Great and mighty, he's awesome, and keep, keep fighting. So I say this, not because I can promise that it's all going to end up, but I can promise you that even in the midst of the fighting, God is there, and he makes himself known, and there's times of great peace, and there's times of great joy, and you begin to appreciate things you never thought you'd appreciate before, and look forward to things you never thought you'd look forward to. But there's this tension that we have to walk through, because in this world, you will have tribulation. Well, be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So they do that. And there's some really cool verses in there. We didn't have time to go over it, but they, it's like they got a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other, and they're working on this wall. And I just, I've always loved that, that visual of, you know, you're working and then it's like, oh, I heard something. You, whoosh, you know, pull out. I saw Black Panther last night. So now I'm all like sword crazy. But, uh, and so that's what they're doing. But watch what it says. Again, they're building the wall. It's working. It's coming up. They're, they're, they're facing opposition, but they're, they're able to um, get around it for some reason with their swords and posting guards and doing all that. And they're praying and they're remembering who God is. You jump to chapter 6, and it says, But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them. So what happened was, Sanballat sends a letter to Nehemiah. And says, hey, why don't you come down off of the, the you know, 
it looks like you need a lemonade. Come on, come on over to this plane, you know, where we are, and we'd love to talk to you about the wall, how it's going, uh, see your Pinterest stuff, and, you know, we just talk about what, how you're, what you're doing with it, what color you're going to paint it. You know, we're just, we just, we're just friends. And so Nehemiah in this verse is saying they weren't friends, you know. They, they, didn't, they didn't care. So he sends them a message. And we're going to end with this I hope when you leave, this is what you leave with. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. And maybe this week before I show you the reply. You might be at a place where you're rebuilding a part of your wall. And you're facing opposition. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't go on. I I can't go on. And maybe in the back of your mind, this, these words from Nehemiah, I'm carrying, on a, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot come down. I'm carrying on a great project and I can't come down. Maybe, you're, maybe one of your walls is anger. And you're at work and you have that person that's always chipping, 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 chipping. And, and you, behind your back, roll your fist up. <laughs> and you're like, well... I might be going to prison, but I'll feel a whole lot better. And all of a sudden you go, you know what? I'm carrying out a great project right now. I cannot come down to this level. I've got to continue doing what I'm doing. I've got to continue working on it. Maybe you're in a place where you're, you're, you're single and you want to get married. And, 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 and you just want to be around somebody. But you know the person that you're interested in isn't really who God wants you uh, to, to be interested in for some reason. Or, or vice versa or whatever. And you're in the midst of it. And the temptation is real to be like, you know what? I, I'd rather be with them than with nobody. And then in the back of your mind you hear, I'm carrying on a very important project. And I can't come down. He says, he goes on, he says this. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? What, 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 what do you have to offer me that's better than what God has to offer me is essentially what Nehemiah is saying. The work I'm doing on the wall, the sacrifices it's costing me, the things that, the, 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 the weariness when you're right at the, I mean, if you're building a wall, it's not easy. And you get to those places where you're just tired. When the enemy can sneak in or tempt you or whatever. You say, I'm, I'm carrying on a great project. My marriage is a great project. A very important project. I can't come down from that. And so I set healthy boundaries. So we open up lines of communication that oftentimes can be uncomfortable. Why? Because I'm carrying out a very important project. My marriage And so God begins to show you the different areas in your life. You need to be working on this. Maybe your career wall is fantastic. And you're like looking at it and you're sweeping off the cobwebs on it. And your family wall is in shambles. And so you have to go, okay, I'm going to let that deteriorate for a little bit. I'm carrying on an important project. I can't come down. It says they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and will not be completed. But I prayed now strengthen my hands. As Adjua comes back up and we're going to go over a new song. Um, she's going to read a poem that she's been writing while I've been preaching. Uh, 
I don't know what area of your life, um, the walls that God wants you to be working on. Maybe for years you've been working on one wall and it's like it's pretty good and you're like, that's just my thing. That's what I work on. And the Lord's like, you got an anger wall over here. That's horrible. Your bitterness wall, it, it's like a trench. It's not even a wall. It's like, it, it's, like it, it's horrible. You, you got to start wor- working on the Set that other thing aside for now. Let's start working on these. And so what we do during this time is we, we fill out our connection cards, but we also listen for God. In some of those areas of our lives. Or he might say, it's time to start building on this part of the wall. He might say, you're doing a great job building, but you can't do this alone. You can't, you you weren't designed to be a builder by yourself. There are some stones there. You're going to need three or four people to help you lift. There are some talents you're going to need that you can't provide, but this person right next to you can. You're going to have to open up. So that people can see your walls. And it's going to be painful at first. I don't know how he's going to speak to you. But that's one, another thing we do. And the third thing we do is we, if this is a time when you give, uh, if, if, if you support Living Spring with your tithes and offerings and giving, we thank you so much for doing that. Um, a lot of people give online and set that all up. Uh, but some people like the physical act of worship of writing a check or putting money in an envelope. And we understand that as well. So what we do is we take all those tithes and offerings and the com- uh, connection cards. And when we leave, there's a box in the back and you can just put it in there. But let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we want to hear your voice. We want to see the walls of our lives uh, raised because it's, it's better behind the gates than on the outside looking in. And so, uh, Lord, I pray that you would... Um, speak to us and give us the courage to just begin building. Thank you for that. Amen.